0: Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. This will be a difficult sermon for some today because of the words that you will hear Attributed to God. Here's the, the hardest part today. Do you get me? Can you hear what I'm trying to say? Can you hear me now? Which is, in a lot of ways what we're doing uh, well a lot of ways, what we're doing throughout the entirety of this Lenten season. Started last Wednesday night with Ash Wednesday, and we're going to move through these several weeks together, these six Sundays and all these days together. We're going to move through them together in the hopes of getting to Easter Sunday so that we can either baptize you or get you to the place where you're ready to affirm your baptism. So if you have not yet been baptized, the Lenten season is for you preparation, preparation, shaping. If you have been baptized, then perhaps this Lenten season can be for you also a time of shaping and making sure so that once we get to this great service, and it'll be after Easter Sunday, once we get to the service in which we will baptize folks into the faith, maybe you who have already been baptized would see fit to affirm publicly what is said and what is done, what happens in the baptismal pool. It's a season of preparation. It's a season of of journeying to the cross. Jason just said this. He said, I love how the cross is in the middle of the sanctuary and we have to account for it. It gets in the way. We have to account for it. Like when Brandon sets up, he has to set up accounting for the cross. When I'm walking around, I have to keep an eye open or else I'm going to bloody myself on the cross, right? Yeah, that's kind of it. May my life demonstrate during the Lenten season that I'm always accounting for the cross. Make sense? And not just me. (laughs) May your life during the Lenten season and then after that, your life in business, your life in education, your life in the medical field, your life in the working world, may you always have to account for the cross. And if somehow You have been able to live your life we'll call it your secular life I hate that terminology but if you've been able to live your secular life without accounting for the cross then I love you deeply but as a Christian you're not doing it right you're just not I'm really Christian on Sunday God bless you for being really Christian on Sunday But if you're not accounting for the cross on Monday morning, yes, early, even before you've had your coffee, (laughs) then the Lenten season is our time to focus. Get better, get stronger. There is a phenomenon, and many of you are are familiar with it, about 11 o'clock, give or take an hour or so, about 11 o'clock every Saturday night the new secrets show up on the postsecret.com website. How many of you are familiar with postsecret.com? Yeah, some of you are and some of you aren't. I would recommend it. It's fascinating. A guy by the name of Frank Warren has started this movement, really, and people send to Frank Warren. They send these postcards, anonymous postcards, and they're supposed to be unearthing secrets. And so now several years after the the beginning, he's amassed half a million or more secrets, unbelievable amount of secrets, and and people are telling him all kinds of things. Now, they never sign their names because that's one of the rules. It must be anonymous. And some of those secrets, the best, let's say, the best of those secrets end up on the website. This one happens to say, I am 33 years old. I have my own house and a great job, and every day I dream of running away from home all kinds of secrets. Some of them are great and are to be celebrated. Some of them are absolutely horrifying. You can't believe someone would actually write these things, but it is a fascinating read of humanity. People getting things off their chests, out of their minds and out of their mouths. And so there's so many secrets that it's become at least a couple of books, and I've got this one very interesting, so big that now he's traveling around and doing these huge live events to packed houses. People are certainly interested when other people tell their secrets. They're interested in this read on humanity. In fact, it's, all, it's already become a play actually. And I think if it comes here, I'll probably go see it. Uh, hear me, I appreciate this effort. I uh, can appreciate the, the, the read on humanity that it is. I like it. But what we're doing, as it has to do with secrets during the Lenten season, is more than they're doing with the post-secret movement. What we're doing during the Lenten season, as it has to do with transparency or getting to transparency, getting to vulnerability, getting to the truth, what we're doing goes far beyond the conscience cleansing that happens in a post-secret movement. It's not a bad thing to cleanse one's conscience. It's not a bad thing to finally get something off your chest and out of your mouth. It's not a bad thing. But what we're doing is far more difficult and dangerous than that. In fact, it may start there, but for us, it results, it should result, we want it to result in reconciliation and stronger relationship. Those secrets are anonymous. These aren't. Now, you can send a secret in to Frank Warren. You can send a secret in, and you can get something off your chest but it does not necessarily improve your relationship with this one from whom you've been hiding. During the Lenten season, you're being challenged by the God of the universe to bring things to the surface so that the truth can be known because you have no relationship that is any better than that relationship's level of honesty. If you've been married to someone for 40 years only to find out that that person had a different name and a whole different life, it puts that entire relationship in jeopardy. If you've known someone for 15 minutes and they've lied about their story and about their name, you really don't have a relationship. You have no relationship that's greater than, or of a higher quality than, that relationship's level of honesty. Even your relationship with God (laughs) requires your participation toward transparency because it's as you move things toward the surface, and they're dealt with, but John will be painful, absolutely painful. But as you move things toward the surface, can you see this? You have the hope and the possibility of real relationships. Upon which better days can be built. You don't seem very excited about that. Now, today's sermon actually is not just for the one that would unearth the secrets. I mean, I wanna keep talking about that and I wanna keep encouraging you and me and us to make sure that we bring ugliness to the surface and deal with it so we can deal with it honestly. But I'm not just talking to the person who would unearth those secrets today. I am talking to the person who might then be the recipient of those confessions, those secrets, those failures. In fact, let's start with this question. How has God received the confessions The secrets, the sins of mankind. How has God received those things? Well, um, we have a good read of that in the book of Genesis. And I'm going to read chunks of it that aren't, some scripture that's not going to be on the screen. We're going to actually work our way slowly through chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But this is incredible stuff. And this is the point at which some of you will start to get nervous. By the way, this is the flood story. Noah and the Ark and the Flood. By the way, this same kind of story, the story of a giant flood that would reduce creation back to rubble, exists in other faith traditions that are older than ours. This same giant flood story, in fact, beyond that, this same giant flood story in some of these other traditions portrayed the other God or gods as perpetrating this flood. In fact, in one other that I found this week, the gods are described as using weapons of war. One of those weapons in this God's hand was this divine bow and arrow with which God made war on creation to reduce it to rubble. And why? Because it was just so chaotic anyway. Why don't we just start over? So this story, this flood story, is our rendition of this flood story, because it exists somewhere else, and it's older than this story. But this is our flood story. So we need to keep careful eye open now for how this flood story, our flood story, demonstrates something about our God that is not demonstrated by those other gods. But there are some uncomfortable words here. Take, for example, six, five the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually gracious so God only a few chapters before created everything (laughs) and now by chapter 6 he sees that things have gone terribly terribly wrong human failure dark hearts secrets galore and God said to Noah I have determined (laughs) Oh, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence because of them and now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth welcome to church Wow in fact God is grieved that God has made all of this. It grieves God's heart. God seems to say to Godself, what have I done in making all of this and all of them? Everything is careening out of control. So God does the unthinkable. God does hit the reset button, but I want you to hear it the way I think it's intended to be heard. So God makes war on creation. God makes war on creation in an attempt to fight the chaos, in an attempt to fight the darkness, and the evil inclination of humanity, God makes war on all creation effectively. So God blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground human beings, and animals, and creeping things, and birds of the air, they were blotted out from the earth. In other words, Well, if it was God's intention to make war on creation and win, God won. I don't want you to say amen there, but do you get that? This is how God, at this point in the story, has decided to deal with chaos that is humanity. This is how God has decided to deal with dark hearts. This is how God has decided at this point to deal with rebellion. God does so by making war. And by the way, God wins that war. And everything is wiped out. Now I'm reading in chapter 8. Verse 15 God said to Noah, Okay, I've salvaged you, I've salvaged your family, salvage at least. A representation of all creation. Verse 16. Now go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 18. So Noah went out with his sons and with his wife and his sons' wives, and every animal, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth. Went out of the ark by families. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on that altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing or odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never do this again. The Lord said in his heart, I told you it was going to get uncomfortable. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind. The inclination of the human heart is evil from youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. Did you hear what just happened? God said, what I did, I will never do again, even though the circumstances might be the same in the future. I'm just reading the Bible. Are you bothered yet? What God just said is, what I did do, I will not do again, even if you don't change, even if the inclination of your heart is evil from youth, as I expect that it will be, says God. Even if you have the secrets and you confess the failures, even if you are a failure, I will not do this again. Now, very smart, aleck Christians have said over the years, reading something like this, yeah, because next time God will do it with fire. Yeah, God just won't use water to wipe out the earth. God will use probably, like, zombies next time. But when Christians have said something like that, they have missed the point of the entire story. And not just the story of Noah and the Ark, the entire story. You know, the Bible When people, especially people of faith, have said, the next time, God will destroy by... You've already missed the point. Now we're getting toward our text for today. But before we get there, you see in chapter 9, God says... Man, I wiped out all life except what was in that ark. I won't do that again. And as a matter of fact, Noah, and all who will be left, you should treasure and protect and preserve life. Verse 5 in chapter 9. For your own lifeblood, I will surely require a reckoning. From every animal, I will require it. And from human beings, each one for the blood of another, I will require a reckoning for human life. Whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human, shall that person's blood be shed. For in his own image, God made humankind. And you be fruitful and multiply, abound on the earth and multiply in it. So... Though God had not done this before, God says, I will never do this again. As a matter of fact, I want you to have a similar commitment to the one that I now make to protect and preserve life. Are you still seeing this? It's all out of the Bible. And then, God says to Noah and his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant, very interesting word here, with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal on the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, very interesting that the word covenant would be used here because like today, In ancient times, a covenant was an agreement between two parties, and you would think if this is some sort of a covenant ceremony, you would think that we would hear from Noah and we don't. So it's a covenant because God says it's a covenant, but it's a covenant that God will carry, God's self. Here, God says, I will not do this again. I promise you, I will not do this again. So using the very same language that was used earlier, I will blot out all of this, and not just people, but creepy, crawly things and birds. Now God says, all of the above, I will now protect and preserve, and I will not do this again and I covenant that I will not do this again. And it's not on you, God says, it's on me. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set, and it doesn't say rainbow, It says bow because it has in mind here a weapon of war. A weapon, you talk about a weapon of mass destruction. In the hand of God, this giant bow destroyed everything. And God said, I will put it down. Strings down. Because you know when a bow is not dangerous? When it strings down. And I will put this bow in the clouds. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, says God. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Can you hear me now? The God to whom you would bring your confessions. The God to whom you would bring your secrets. The God to whom you would present your dark heart. Scripture seems to indicate that there was a time when God responded to darkness and the kind of chaos that people like us bring. Scripture would indicate that there was a time when God responded to that with incredible violence. But God says, out of God's own mouth, I'm not going to be like that anymore. In fact, I will make sure that there is a reminder to both you and me that I will not be that way anymore. As a matter of fact, I promise, whether you promise or not, to not be that God again. Can you hear me now? Whew, okay. So how will God then be involved with fractured and broken, failing human beings? How will God be involved? How will God interact with humanity, though God's even said it here? The inclination of their hearts will be evil from youth. How will God interact with humanity? How will God interface with us now? If God's not going to do it as a giant warrior with huge weapons of mass destruction, then how will God deal with us and with our shortcomings and with our sins and with our failures? In Mark chapter 1, Jesus gets baptized. Incredible. So God in Christ comes all the way to humanity, closes the distance so that God is walking with mankind, and in fact, Jesus gets baptized. That is a huge conversation. Jesus gets baptized. In other words, included. So if you think about it, the waters, which were, in the book of Genesis, the means of exclusion in an ultimate sort of way, killing off everybody that didn't fit, right? The waters now in chapter one of the book of Mark are the means of inclusion. Before the waters pushed you out, now the waters bring you in, bring you close. Beyond that, you hear this from Jesus. So in answer to the question, so now, How is it that God will interact, interface, be involved with humanity, sinful as we are? Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Could have said, Has come here. Repent and believe the good news. That's how. So how will God interact now? How will God address and confront our darkness and our sinfulness? This. God came close enough that we could hurt him and kill him. God reacts to our darkness and our sinfulness and our failures by absorbing them and overcoming them with love. Again, again, here at this place in our tradition, this is not a sign of the wrath and anger of God. It is a symbol constantly telling us and shouting and screaming if we'll just listen. This is the extent to which love will go to make love's point. So the receiver of secrets, the receiver of the confessions and the failures looks so much like the father of the lost son. There is relationship possible for the lost son and the father now. Yes, yes, because of the willingness of the lost son to come clean and in some sense cleanse his conscience. Yes, absolutely. But the future of this relationship is also secured by the heart of the father who says to the son, you're not going to be a servant, you're a child and you're welcomed and I know what you've done and I know what you've done and you're welcomed. you're brought close you're brought near you're well fed you belong you still get to carry my name because the Covenant didn't depend on you anyway the Covenant is carried by God And when Christians finally get that through our collective thick heads, (laughs) we respond with lives of love. And so when you come to the table today, you're coming to participate in the heart of God who responds in particular ways to our darkness and our failures and our confessions of our deep secrets, here's how God responds, not with a bow and arrow, but with the embrace of a parent. Some of you are going to be the recipients of a confession. Some of you are going to be the recipients of some of these secrets, and some of these secrets unearthed might be tragic and desperately painful. Hear me. While I am praying for the people that should be telling the secrets, I am praying for those of you who are going to have to receive and perhaps absorb those secrets. Because the point at the end of the day is not just a cleansed conscience it is a future of relationship broken body shed blood not just for you but by you and yet still you are welcomed at this table not as a slave but as a son and a daughter if you were helping us to serve this very important meal would you come down I think we have many from the young adult Sunday school class. Look at them. They got themselves organized and everything. Thank you, Chesney, for doing that. <laughs> JC might want to do a quick count, make sure we've got enough. Okay. People, yeah. We have a lot to do yet. In today's service, but nothing that we do is more important than this. Nothing we do is more important than you recognizing how it is that God receives your confessions of failure, how it is that God receives your dark heart, how it is that God receives your secrets. You will see it and participate in it here via the Eucharist. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left and then come forward to receive bread and then cup. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, and as we partake, as we participate, may we be reminded of your posture and your heart. May we be reminded of this bow in the clouds, this retired weapon of war. May we be reminded God of the posture of Christ, who receives the guilty, welcomes the guilty, restores and redeems. And renews the guilty. And so, God, would you by this meal move those who do, in fact, need to confess something, who need to tell some secrets? But, God, would you with this meal today strengthen the resolve of those who would receive these secrets? Soften our hearts. May we be like the father of the lost son. May we be like the God who places the rainbow in the clouds. Give us just enough grace, God, to lay down our need to keep score, our need to avenge, our need to hit back. But may we recognize as we partake of these elements How it is that you dealt with sin and darkness. Your body was broken and your blood was shed in order to prove something to us about your hearts for us. It was on the night that it was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you, broken in some sense by you. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. Later on, after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, my blood shed for you. And every time you drink of it, remember me. If you can't make it to one of these stations, Jason will come to you. I want to invite you to stand now, exit your pew to the left. There are always places to pray. If you'd like to find a place to pray, you're certainly welcome to do so. But come now and receive these elements and be strengthened and encouraged.
1: his face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom.
0: Father, we eat and we drink today. These tangible expressions. Your heart, your heart's posture. We see now, we see in the cross, we see in the passion, we see in Christ's sufferings how it is that you have chosen to deal with, to interact with humanity. How it is that you have chosen to confront our darkness, our secrets, our failures. Now we see it. Father, now having seen it, we are now measured by it. Father, we confess now. We confess that we aren't always so gracious when dealing with human failures and the secrets that when unearthed damage, damage us, damage our own. you to pray that prayer of confession now just as honestly as you know how would you ask God to help you to know how to go about receiving the confession and the failures of others today, you are painfully aware that there is more to unearth. Perhaps you're the one about to tell a secret that must be unearthed. Would you ask God for grace and for courage Father, we bring to your attention the names of those that we know are sick, hurt, damaged. We believe in these prayers for healing. So church, I would ask you now to pray that prayer. Be as specific as you can. but Pray for those you know to be in pain, physical and mental, emotional or perhaps relational pain. Ask for God to heal now. Ask you to pray for your church as we enter into a very important time of decision making. Would you pray that we would, together as a people, as a body, continue to be tied so closely to God's leadership that we would, that we would be God's people. Father, lead us and guide us. And Father, we are aware of those in our fellowship who are hurt. We're glad to see Brian Kane here continue to bring healing to his body. God, we pray also for Bob Dargan, June Adams, and Helen Jamison, all who received hard news this week about cancer. God, surround them and help us to surround all of them and all of the broken inside this room and outside this room. Help us to be those people who can surround the broken and convince them of the loving posture of a God we see most clearly in the face of Christ. So shape us to be these people, your people, as we pray this prayer. I invite you, church, to pray it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. more information about OKC First, please visit okcfirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.